Hey, welcome to episode number two of the Outpitch Podcast, your new home for the human side of baseball and social issues. My name is Justin Havelock, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Crystal O'Keefe. Crystal, how are you? Pretty great. How are you? I've been doing great, just uh, enjoying all the baseball that we've got to enjoy now that the season's finally underway. I know, it's been a fun first week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know there were a lot of great moments that have come out of some of the games that have happened. Um, I saw a great tweet the other day from um, Haley Cruz Mitchell, uh, the wife of Garrett Mitchell with the Milwaukee Brewers, who had apparently made a comment that he does better when his wife's not at the game. So uh, she decided to uh, clap back on him at, on Twitter. <laughs> it's It's so great to have baseball back and everyone having fun and enjoying themselves enjoying the games that are on tv yeah i even got to go to a live game this week to uh go see garrett mitchell who <laughs> was at the brewers mets game on monday that's right yeah i heard that was a good time dead shout out to our friend of the pod and pitcher list, Jordan White, for making the most delicious breakfast I've ever had and not making fun of me too much when my team was down 10 nothing. So thank you, friend. Yeah, I know the Brewers been, have they've been doing that to a lot of people lately. And like you said, Jordan White's a, a great guy. So that was, um, yeah, that was very exciting to hear. Yeah. I, I don't mind the Brewers. I, I just, when they're playing certain teams, I'm going to cheer for certain teams, like in this case, my Mets, but um, Mets Mets didn't have a great series. No, they've uh, they've had a rough start. <laughs> it's, it's been painful. The You've mentioned in here um, from the White Sox-Giants game, Logan Webb's ghost strikeout against Tim Anderson that ended up getting Tim Anderson ejected from the game from kind of chirping back. Um, but Tim was right. I looked, I happened to look at the ump scorecard from that game because I was waiting very impatiently for that to come out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was definitely a ball called strike and it was way 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 out of the zone and it was number three on the most impactful missed calls from that game so tim was right to shirt back yeah can't blame him for being ejected definitely not it was that was a really interesting highlight i saw on twitter over the week and I mean, that's maybe the first strikeout I've ever seen where the batter wasn't even in the batter's box. No. <laughs> like you said, those scorecards are, are very interesting, and I I don't think that was fair to Tim Anderson either. But, I mean, it does make for a good highlight reel. I'm sure all the broadcasters love that. Oh, I'm sure they did. Although, for some reason, like, Fox News picked up this story, too. <laughs> and it was like, guys, you, you're, you're not baseball. Yeah. Leave Tim Anderson alone, please. But, yeah, pretty wild game. Yeah, and I know there was a, a similar highlight that I'm sure the broadcasts must have enjoyed having on the reel this week with um, the Pittsburgh Pirates. There was a, a very interesting uh, base running decision. I'll, I'll make sure to include on our Twitter after the episode. You can 
take a look if you're listening to it. It'll be live because it was a, a really interesting choice with uh, Brian Reynolds and Andrew McCutcheon. And I, I have no idea what the pirates were doing there. Um, but you can just kind of put that Benny Hill music right over that clip and it fits perfectly. <laughs> yes, I oh, <laughs> I just don't understand what anybody was thinking in this. And I mean, they obviously still won that game, but oh my gosh, what? a goopy play although i will say i love andrew mccutcheon's like bright yellow gloves and bright yellow shoes they really just look excellent against like the black and gray that's my fashion critique of the day but yeah they they are so goofy but like the pirates are oddly doing great already this year so good for them yeah for sure and i'm i'm definitely with you on those uniforms as somebody that just watched the Jays Royals series, which is all blue and white on both mm-hmm. sides. And of course, the Jays cracked out the gray uniforms today. But I know I was watching with my mom and she was very confused at one point as to which team was which. And I'm like, you're not alone. There's there's a lot of people that don't like uh, this many teams having the same colors. And I, I know personally, I always love when the Jays have the powder blues out. So I'm sure Royals fans are also probably very happy that that series is over because it was not a good one for them. Yeah. And then... Uh, the other clap back that we were both talking about ahead of the game, <laughs> minor league pitcher and former White Sox prospect Cade McClure, who has been in the minors for about seven years now, got some heat from Tatis Jr.'s mother, which I love. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, Cade McClure shared a video of him striking out Tatis Jr., just really kind of arrogant way. So uh, Mama Tatis came in and said, <laughs> well, her first her caption in Spanish, this is called Envy. And the Instagram post said, a player with seven years in minor league just wanted a minute of fame. That was the reason he uses a superstar player player's name to obtain visibility. And some crazy emoji faces. So love this for her. Yeah, that was a, a really interesting one to see that. You know, obviously, no one no one likes giving up a home run like that. But uh, I remember seeing him, uh, I can't remember if it was Twitter or Instagram, that he had posted saying that, you know, this mm-hmm. is a cheater who's been suspended and it's only a rehab assignment. And I'm like, well, if all that's true, then why'd you give up the home run? <laughs> right. I think he's just a little bitter, but. He's not my problem anymore, at least. <laughs> got rid of him and got uh, a much better pitcher that was, he's already up. He's been doing great. So goodbye, Cade McClure. But yeah, so those were ridiculous moments, obviously, but yep. there were some pretty fun, exciting, great moments. Not necessarily for me on this first note that I added um, with the Giants team just looking really good and making home runs look easy. I shared a tweet in the notes. Um, San Francisco Giants, this like so far, have 27 runs, 34 hits, 21 walks, and 12 home runs in the first full week of baseball. And they just played my White Sox and smoked them today by like 10. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's probably an offense that people didn't expect that from. I I don't know if anybody expected the Giants' offense to be bad necessarily, but 
Uh, I mean, th- those are some pretty big numbers. 27 runs on 34 hits. That's that's a very dangerous offense, and it's going to make that division, I think, a lot of fun to watch with the Dodgers and the Padres already looking really good. And then you've got that young Arizona team that everybody loves to watch. And I, I mean, even Colorado, they may not be a great team, but they still get Coors Field, and that's going to generate a lot of offense for them when they're at home. Yeah, and they they have Chris Bryant, so that's yep. good enough for them. But, you know, I talked to a Giants fan just the other day for a, another podcast I do, and she didn't even necessarily have high hopes about the Giants. She was kind of on the same page of me of, yeah, our teams are are there and they're doing stuff, but don't expect too much from them. And then the Giants just seem to go on a tear this week, and I think – She's even a little shocked because no one was expecting it. I certainly was not. The Giants have always just been kind of a team that's that's there, at least in the last decade. But you know, good for them. Yeah, it's been a it's been quite a few years now since uh, they've had those uh, even numbered wins with the World Series. So it'd be interesting to see the Giants work their way into contention this year. Yeah, and with with Buster gone now too, it's just been like I barely know that team anymore. So. I think they'll be fun to watch. I need to like re-familiarize myself with them. Yeah. Yeah. I know with uh, Blake Sable and David VR and I think Bryce Johnson, like they've got some really interesting young talent that's up with the team this year. So that that's going to be a fun team to watch. Yeah. And we've got a lot of uh, stuff from the Red Sox. They were swept by the Pirates in this series, which... I don't think a single person was expecting because on paper, the Red Sox do look pretty good. Um, And they did win today. And this was kind of a relief because they had a very healthy Chris Sale who really did great work on the mound, um, which is refreshing to see because he is just so injury prone. I feel like he can look at a wall and suddenly run into it. He hasn't been healthy in years. I know he was a White Sox forever ago, and I think that trade was so even, like nobody was mad about it because the White Sox got Michael Kopech and Juan Moncada from it, and the Red Sox got a ring with Chris Sale on the team. But it's just, it's nice to see someone that I I really enjoy watching actually get to play and be healthy because I don't even remember the last time he pitched. Yeah, it's it's been quite some time because remember he had that little bit of a temper tantrum in the minor leagues last year where he lost his school on a TV and um, really seemed to be kind of cursed after that where he just couldn't get right. The Red Sox couldn't get right and they've they've got an interesting team. You know, the Red Sox are one that I haven't been that high on this year, but they do have a lot of interesting pieces and they've made a lot of changes to this roster. So this is not the same Red Sox as last season. And then on the other side, the same is true of the pirates that, you know, they've brought Andrew McCutcheon back, who was the face of the franchise for so long, brought in Carlos Santana. I've, I've been really intrigued by the pirates. Um, I, I don't think that this is going to be a playoff year for them, but at the same time, they're, they've been a popular dark horse pick for me um, as a team that could really surprise people because they've got they've got a lot of talent there. I think that pitching, I mean, it's very difficult for that pitching to be as bad as it was last year. 
And then you've got like Mitch Keller going to driveline. He's now in the best driveline of his life. So there's there's some signs of life at, life at the very least with Pittsburgh. Yeah, I am really excited to see them in person. That's I, I've been fighting off the urge to drive the five hours and spend a massive amount on tickets for this series. Uh, ultimately, I am just too busy. And those tickets for the opening day were not in my tax bracket. So I'm I'm resisting that, but I do plan to go see them in June uh, when when they host the Mets. So I'm really excited to just see what that team is. And Andrew McCutcheon is, um, I would say, on my Mount Rushmore of all-time favorite players sure. in baseball. So I'm just happy to see him home. Um, I went to a Phillies-Pirates game when he was on the Phillies, and it was towards the end of the season, so, you know, we weren't sure where he would land next season. And after so many years, he still got a standing ovation when announced in Pittsburgh. Like that is how much that city just adores him. So I'm just so excited to see him back like home where he is most comfortable and just very happy. Cause you can tell he loves, he loves that city and he loves being back there. So I'm so excited for the pirates this year. Yeah, I think that could have a very underrated impact on on the clubhouse that a lot of people are focusing on his age and, you know, whether or not he can have like a 2020 season this year. But there's also the clubhouse side of it that, you know, like I said, he was the face of the franchise for so long. He means so much to the fans in Pittsburgh. There are, you know, definitely a lot of players on that team that, you know, even if they didn't grow up a Pirates fan, likely idolized him growing up. So to have him on that team, to have him come back to that team after the season they had last year, I think that's something that's really going to energize the team. And, you know, everything that I've seen or heard about him has just been glowingly positive. He seems to be a guy that his teammates love to play with. Yeah, he's he's a blast. He was a blast in the minors. Like, that's how I got on the McCutcheon train. It was like 2005, I think. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love this guy. I'm going to follow him throughout his entire career. And that is exactly what I've done. I see him live every single year, no matter what team he's on. The only one I missed was 2020, I think, for obvious reasons. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I, I mean, in a very similar vein, I know I've always had the same kind of feeling when it comes to Zach Greinke who just had a rough day for the Royals against my Toronto Blue Jays, which, you know, after they struggled a little bit against St. Louis, they've been really kind of rolling right now. And I mean, a lot of people I know are going to point to the Jays schedule that, you know, we start out with St. Louis, but then we go to Kansas City and LA and Detroit next week in Toronto. But I mean, at the end of the day, you can't control your schedule. You you take the games that you're given and you make the most out of it. And the Jays have certainly been making the most out of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Royals, as of right now, have lost six games of the seven played. They are, they are down bad. And I mean, I don't personally care for the Royals because they're in my division. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's still just no fun to just be losing that much and it's only a weekend that's got to be really deflating to those players so i feel for them on that level yeah i think it's going to be a tough year in kansas city uh you know thankfully for them i guess they've got football to look forward to but 
yeah, Zach Reinke could be headed somewhere by the trade deadline. Yeah. It doesn't help that we got some of their their people. I mean, we have Pedro Gafal now as, you know, their manager, and then we have Andrew Benatendi on the team. So we, we took a lot from the Royals, but I'm not sorry, Kansas City. I'm really not. Yeah, I mean, fortunately with baseball, sometimes you, you make your bed and you just have to deal with uh, the situation that you're in. Uh, like I said, with the schedule, you play the cards you're dealt. Yeah. So speaking of playing the cards you're dealt, one thing I wanted to talk about was some of our reactions or overreactions even uh, from the first week of baseball, players that are maybe feeling like we're in or out on this early in the season. And, you know, how do we decide who is or isn't? legit like i know i've seen a lot of conversation as a jays fan about brandon belt right now that he's got this 60 percent strikeout rate and he's just swinging and missing at pitches that brandon belt doesn't normally swing and miss at i personally don't think that 60 percent is going to stick around but you know as much as it's only a weekend i think i've seen enough to tell that this is probably not going to be a good year for him older hitters sometimes i know we focus on whether or not the power is still there, but I'm starting to worry that maybe the pitch recognition is starting to fall off a little bit. Yeah, I've seen that, honestly, in quite a few players. I mean, just just earlier today, as I was watching the White Sox, Lance Lynn was having an awful day. He labored through the first inning. He's been walking a ton of people, um, and sometimes he's just not there. And this isn't the first. I mean, he had a bad game on the second day after opening day so like there's a little concern there i saw it um with cookie on the mets just the other day he was having a rough time his velocity was way down from what it should be um, especially on the fastball and some of these pitchers are just looking rough and i don't again i don't know if it is a pitch clock thing i don't know if spring training was just rough or you know if it's it's time to go in for that surgery Uh, but i noticed more than anything the pitchers are just having a rough time across the league yeah absolutely and i think we've seen it with i'm sure a lot of people have seen it with their fantasy teams with a lot of the aces that are out there getting roughed up but I, i was just having a great conversation with a friend about this the other day that i think i think we just need to relax and remind ourselves that this is 162 game season Baseball is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that most of the pitchers that we might be looking at right now and panicking as to, you know, oh my gosh, what's going on? I'm sure many of these players will figure it out. I know Kevin Gaussman is the one who's, there's been some panic from some people that, you know, his velocity is down. But one thing that I've noticed as a Jays fan is that seems to be a common trend with the Jays right now, that Mm -hmm. a lot of our pitching staff, um, not just Gausman, but Manoba, Chris Bassett, Eric Swanson in the bullpen, a lot of guys, their velocity is down right now. So I don't know if it's necessarily a workload thing, like you were saying about spring training, that mm-hmm. they just need a bit more time to get ramped up. I've heard some people saying maybe it's to do with the cold weather, especially because Kansas City today was quite chilly. Could even just be that, you know, sometimes... You know, as we've talked about before, baseball players are people too. Sometimes they just have bad days. You know, maybe this is just somebody starting the season on the wrong foot. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a long season. And I think a lot of these pitchers that we're looking at right now and seeing struggle, 
will put things all together. Alec Manoa already looked much better yesterday than he did in his first start. Yeah, he looked great. But on the other hand, we have a healthier Jacob deGrom right now. And it felt like, you know, prime vintage Jacob deGrom just the other day. I mean, he struck 11 out against the Orioles, which is so impressive because he was not healthy at all last year. Uh, He was out so much last year on the Mets. And it's like the second he got to Texas, he went back to the best pitcher in baseball that you know he was dubbed just years ago like he he's looking great so again if he stays healthy that's going to be somebody that i'm going to really focus heavily on and just kind of go all in with him because yeah he he looked incredible and the orioles are not bad this year uh they're way scrappier than they have been in previous years yeah, absolutely. And I know I know it's interesting with Jacob deGrom. I know some people that I played with have gotten the impression that I don't like Jacob deGrom because I haven't wound up with any shares of him in fantasy. And, you know, I'll look at a lot of picks and I'm like, oh, that's a huge reach. And it's like, I, I still love Jacob deGrom. He's arguably the best pitcher in all of baseball when he's healthy. The, the real question is just when he's healthy, can he keep this up throughout the season And how much are the Rangers going to be able to get out of him in Texas? Yeah. And that's where it gets tough because, you know, he's, he's 34. He'll be 35 this year because we share a birthday. That's right. I'm a year older though. Um, So yeah, I mean, he's, he's getting older. He's been inconsistent the last probably two years, but I'm just hoping this is his year to kind of rebound and go out with glory because he deserves it. He's so talented and it just sucks that he's so riddled with injury all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very unfortunate. And I think it's, it's interesting too, the way it kind of puts him in this um, spot to be somewhat of an underdog going into this season that, you know, he, he may be able to win comeback player of the year. Yeah. It kind of works him into that conversation. Uh, speaking of underdogs, we've got our underdogs of the week. So I know you've got a player that you actually got to see in person this week. I, yes. Um, so again, I went to the Brewers Mets and they were like, so, I mean, there were so many rookies that they were introducing and three of the five, I think it was their, um, debut that day they they weren't on the opening day roster but they were uh there for their home opener and Bryce Terang was one of them who you know you don't know you never know what to truly expect from a rookie and when you're there and you're making your first entrance into this game and it's opening day and everyone everyone is just kind of psyched and going out of their mind you never know what you're gonna get but this kid (laughs) hit a grand slam against The Mets, again, Cookie was not, he was not as good uh, this time. I was a little worried about him, actually. But um, since then, he's gone 5 of 10 with 5 RBIs in his first four games with the Brewers. And seeing him in person, seeing that Grand Slam in person, it was just absolutely wild. It's one of those moments that it doesn't really matter what team you're there for. Seeing something like that, seeing this rookie that is playing his very first MLB game, in front of you 
do that and just be so talented is just absolutely wild to me. So I can't wait to see what this kid has up his sleeve for the remainder of the season. But I would say he he came into that game an underdog because who knows what's going to happen and walked out like the hero of the game. Yeah, I definitely think he's a pretty huge underdog. Um, I know he went undrafted in so many of my leagues, the few that I didn't take him in at least. And the the ones that I did, I was able to get him in the last round or the last couple of rounds of a lot of my drafts. I think he's a player that a lot of people have slept on. And I know there's been a lot of conversation that this year that second base is not a very deep position in fantasy baseball. And Bryce Terang is playing second base for the Milwaukee Brewers. So I know in a lot of leagues, he's starting with only shortstop eligibility. But I, I mean, we're only a week into this season. And I know certainly in Yahoo leagues, at least, there are players like Jordan Walker who are already picking up a, a new position. He's now outfield eligible in Yahoo. So, you know, Bryce Terang should be eligible at second base very shortly. And if he's still out there, I think he's a player that people should definitely be looking at. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so for my underdog, I have Cleveland Guardians pitcher Tim Heron, who's a person that a lot of people may not be familiar with. And I'm going to make one of my first bold takes of the podcast and say that I think that he might actually be this year's Spencer Strider. He's a rookie reliever on a team that has a very banged up or struggling at least rotation. He has this really big four-seam slash slider combo, and he's a player that, much like Spencer Strider last year, just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, there were some command issues when he was in the minor leagues, so everyone just kind of wrote him off as just another arm in the bullpen. But he's he's got some really interesting stuff. I think the biggest difference between the two of them is that Strider has a much more dominant four-seamer, uh, you know, he he can flirt with triple digits on that fastball. Yeah. Whereas Heron's sitting like a 95.5 right now. But it, it was just interesting when I was going through and looking at some of the games that have happened in the first week of baseball and who's standing out. It just reminded me of Spencer Strider last year. Tim Heron right now has a 75% K minus BB, which Spencer Strider last year when he made his debut had an 83.3 K minus BB. Obviously, that's a very elite level of plate discipline that nobody in Major League Baseball can actually maintain. So there's going to be some regression there. But I think it's very interesting, some of the similarities between the two players. And, you know, Strider's kind of shown that that four-seam slider blueprint really plays. It's different with Heron. He leans much more heavily on the slider, whereas Strider's all about the four-seamer. But with the fact that Heron doesn't have the same velocity, that may be something that helps him. Um, I know in his first game, he was only throwing the fastball 19% of the time. Mm -hmm. So maybe the fact that he doesn't have the same degree of velocity isn't that bad if he's not throwing it 70 plus percent of the time the way Strider does. So it's just an interesting name to keep your eye on. And, you know, like I said, he's a guy that's probably not on anyone's radar right now. So he's quite the underdog. I think it's just a matter of, you know, is he this year's Spencer Strider or... Is he a red heron? <laughs> uh, Strider had quite the day, though, from what I was noticing earlier, just beautifully painting corners all day. I mean, I looked up, <laughs> I looked, I was looking on Twitter before we started, and there were like five tweets in a row from like Pitching Ninja and everybody, like Razball, everybody was talking about how great he has been. So 
Yeah. That's fun. But yeah. I, I, I hope he can get on other people's radars because he does sound like he's having a pretty successful time already. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Spencer Strider has just really emerged as this very dominant player in baseball and just skyrocketed from a guy that most people probably didn't know his name last year to a, pl- a player that's probably on a lot of top 10 lists mm-hmm. going into this year. So, you know, there's obviously some risk that maybe Tim Heron isn't the same level of player. But I mean, when we're talking about that kind of upside, I think sometimes you have to take the risk in order to get the reward side of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this this also leads perfectly into our deep dive today because today we're going to be talking about some of the blackout restrictions in baseball. And I know that a lot of times we're going to talk about these underdogs or maybe you hear about players on another podcast and you want to see them play. You know, you want to see Jordan Walker or Anthony Volpe make their major league debuts. And it can be very frustrating when you go to watch the game and find out it's blacked out where you live and you can't watch that player or you have to go to Twitter to just find the highlights after the game. Yeah, the the blackout restrictions have always frustrated me. It really just drives away viewers because a lot of people get frustrated. Like I pay for MLB TV every single year and half the time I can't watch most of the games I want to watch and it's especially frustrating when, you know, it's it's your job to watch these games. You know, I have my my Friday morning column with the MLB notes or news and moments that you don't want to miss. And when you can't watch a bunch of games, you're missing a lot of moments. And, you know, I have to go to other sites and I have to use Twitter and see what happened on teams I couldn't watch today. So it's frustrating as someone who does this as a job and it's especially frustrating as a fan especially if you're you're paying too much money in my opinion to watch these games and then you can't like I I am three hours away from the Chicago White Sox I can't just drive up there whenever I want to to watch a game but they consider me in close proximity so most of their games are actually blacked out for me which again most of my baseball workers through Southside Sox, so I have to work my way around it to watch this team that I'm covering on almost a daily basis. Yeah, it's it's a very common theme, I think, in baseball that I know I've heard so many people say that over the years and doing research for this episode. It, it really seems to be that there are so many of these people that are just kind of on the fringe, like you said, three, four hours away from a team that they want to watch. They don't live in that city. You know, it'd take them quite a while to go out there and get to the game, probably the length of the game itself, even two games with the way they've shortened things with the pitch clock this year. And Major League Baseball is like, no, you're a bit too close. We're going to just call you the same city. So, (laughs) And it's even wilder because, you know, where I'm at, I don't have access to NBC Chicago. So... I don't have access to the local channels. I can't technically watch them on MLB TV. Like, how am I supposed to watch the teams I cheer for or the teams that are just close to me? I'm super close yeah. to Cincinnati and I can't catch any Reds games. Yeah, it's it's not good for the game. I, I mean, like, like you were saying, I think it pushes a lot of people to other platforms. It's always been a very strange choice to me that instead of having people 
constantly on their website or in the MLB TV app. Baseball prefers to black out as many games as they can and send people to Twitter or to um, other sites that are out there so that they can watch their games elsewhere. Because, uh, I mean, I think especially with baseball and baseball fans, fans just aren't going to unplug from the game and walk away. They want to watch their baseball games. They want to watch these talented players that we were talking about before. So they're going to find ways around that. And I think it's just really an odd choice by the MLB to kind of shoot themselves in the foot and say that, you know what, we're, we're okay sending people out there. We're, we're okay leaving money on the table and uh, losing out on revenue streams when, you know, we can make our money with these blackouts. Yeah. And then um, the other point, the part is like, they are really cracking down on streaming these games on websites we will not mention. And they're also cracking down on VPNs, um, which, you know, is such a bummer because I, I will be honest, I have used a VPN for MLB TV. It worked perfectly fine last year. This year, it it doesn't want to let me do it. Um, so again, these, you know, they, they're only making it harder for everyone to be able to enjoy this sport and you're you hit the nail on the head like they're just losing revenue and people are frustrated and seeking anything else at this point but they're still making it harder because they are cracking down on things people do use to watch these games since they are in this blackout zone yeah it's definitely interesting for me as well as a canadian baseball fan because things are very different on this side of the border with the Blue Jays. Um, I know with Sportsnet now, you have to pay a little bit extra, um, but there are even some cable packages that do include it, that you can get it just kind of as a freebie thrown in when you sign up for your cable, if people even still have cable these days. But um, it's, it's not that difficult to get. It's the same price as MLB TV, but you don't have any of the same blackout restrictions. You can get every single Jays game of the season, except for the ones that are now on Apple TV with their Friday night baseball. And at least right now, uh, they've only released the schedule up till the end of June. That's only two Blue Jays games. So every other Blue Jays game I can watch blackout free, which I'm sure mm-hmm. many of our listeners right now are probably quite jealous of. Um, so it's, and, and I mean, it was interesting too, when I was looking at the schedule, <laughs> one of those two games actually even happens to fall on my birthday. So there's a good chance I might wind up getting tickets and watching that game in person. And then there's only one game in the first half of the season that I'm actually experiencing those blackouts. And of course, you know, we're talking about the entire country of Canada here. So um, things will be different across the country. I know, uh, BC and Alberta don't get the Seattle Mariners because they're along the same lines as we were talking before, considered in close proximity. And uh, Saskatchewan and Manitoba lose the Minnesota Twins and the parts of the Maritime lose Boston. Um, and it's it's like you were saying, a lot of these places, they, they call it close proximity, but it's like, what does that actually mean? Because especially if you're living in like northern Manitoba, like some of my friends do, that's a that's a very long trip away from Minnesota. You know, I understand people wanting to preserve 
Not to yeah, mention you have exactly. to have passports. Exactly. I understand wanting to preserve some of those local and regional network deals, but when you're eight plus hours away from a team and you've got to cross a border to go see them play in person, I don't know if that's exactly local anymore. Mm-mm. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, obviously, I don't think that there should be these restrictions in the first place, but if you don't even live in the same state, there should not be a blackout restriction, period. It's just, just, I mean, where I'm at, we don't have a major league baseball team. That's why I root for a Chicago team. And I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's, it's a very odd choice. And it's always made me very curious as to why there's such a difference right now between Canada and the States. Um, maybe it's just a matter of them trying to promote baseball more in Canada, that we have a slightly easier path to watch games so that they can boost the ratings on this side of the border. But I think at the very least, it's shown that there is a blueprint that works. And when fans can actually watch their favorite team play baseball, they definitely do. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it's something that, you know, we mentioned Apple TV earlier, as baseball starts moving into the streaming area era with all these different streaming services, hopefully it's something that they'll listen to maybe some of these streaming services and their thoughts on how they should present that to fans. Because obviously a streaming service like Apple, especially, they're going to want to make money. They're going to want to have fans tuning in every single week and not leave money on the table the same way Major League Baseball has chosen to. I think that's probably one of the reasons why Apple TV has started with Friday Night Baseball and doing so few games off the bat is to not just give it a test drive and make sure everything works well, but to have games that fans are actually watching instead of having all these blacked out games where it's like, yeah, we could let you watch this game, but we think we're going to make more money if you can't watch it. Yeah, which, I mean, MLB TV is is not cheap at all. I, again, I pay for it every year, and it, it's set on auto pay too, which is really dumb of me because it kind of just, I, I want to cancel it because I'm just so frustrated with what they do to fans at this point. And, you know, you you wrote in the notes, we're oversaturated with content right now. And there are, I mean, you can watch baseball on Apple TV. You can watch it on Hulu. You can watch it on YouTube TV, your local channels, MLB TV. Like there's, there's so many that you have to consider. And I'm, I'm sorry, I can't buy every single one of these packages. Like that's more expensive than the cable that I cut initially because cable is stupid expensive or, you know, there are games that are only on ESPN or only on this channel. You know, it's frustrating for people that just don't want to pay all that money just so that they can watch a baseball game. For sure. I know uh, we've seen Netflix this year crack down on some of the password sharing measures that uh, people have been using to try and circumvent how many streaming services there are because, you know, we're we're so oversaturated and it's it's so difficult when you've got one show on one streaming service and one show on another and th- there's just too many things for people to pay for right now. So, so many people have taken to helping each other out and sharing passwords among themselves, or at least as much as the platforms will allow us. So I just think it's it's a very odd choice because there are so many different sports. There are so many different sports leagues, so many different 
sports teams that people want to be able to watch. So if we continue down this path of charging people through the roof to watch 20 of their teams, 162 games, eventually there's going to be other options and people are just going to stick with those other options. You know, we all love baseball, but we all also have lives outside of baseball and not everybody can afford to prioritize uh, signing up for MLB TV and getting that annual subscription and then getting a secondary service in their neighborhood that gets the games that aren't covered by it. People can't necessarily afford that, especially with some of the struggles people have had over the last couple of years. So it's really something that they need to come up with a better solution for. Yeah, right. And right now, the States, we're in like a recession. People haven't been able to afford anything for quite some time now. I mean, COVID really damaged that. And now (laughs) there's just no money to go around and people are losing their jobs left and right. And, you know, I I have to hear from one more friend that they're getting laid off this week. I'm going to scream. So yeah. They're really just doing a disservice to everyone. I mean, at the end of the day, we all want to watch baseball. The people that go online and find ways to watch games elsewhere, they're not doing it to be malicious. They're not doing it because they enjoy and get some kind of kick out of being sneaky with how they watch baseball. They're doing it because they love the game, because they want to see Anthony Volpe make his opening debut but they live in Philadelphia and Yankees games are blacked out there for some weird reason. And so I think people just want, they want to be able to engage with the game. And that's something we need to be encouraging instead of discouraging. I mentioned football earlier in the podcast, you know, baseball has a different challenge than the NFL does because it's not appointment television in the same way that you've got a Sunday night football game and it's Kansas city versus LA and everybody's going to be sitting watching, even if you're not a fan of those two teams. There's 162 games in a baseball season, times by 30 teams. There's so many games to watch. You know, We were just saying how oversaturated we are with content. There's just so much baseball to watch. You're not getting people putting aside the same time that they would with other sports or when a movie comes out in theaters and you circle it on your calendar because... You'd be circling the entire week or the entire baseball season. And you know, sometimes I just want to turn on a game while I'm working and have it as background noise. Like I can't just sit there and watch the entire game while I'm working, but like I like to hear the announcers. I like to hear what's going on in the game. And I like to occasionally peek over and, you know, check the score. And yeah, they're not even making that a thing anymore when you, you can't catch so many games. I do the same thing. And I know so many other people listening likely do as well. You would think that they want those ratings, especially when there's, I know every off seasons and there's these conversations about, oh, is is baseball struggling as a sport? Are we losing fans? Are we losing engagement? As a sport, I don't think we are at the end of the day. I think that the league just has lost touch a little bit with how people engage with the game and where fans are right now. And they just need to kind of reconnect with their fans a little bit um, because baseball fans are still out there. We still want to watch. We still want to be a part of the game. And I think you could argue that the game is maybe even in a better place than it ever has been as it's become more inclusive, as it becomes something that's for more and more groups of people instead of just one specific niche demographic. It's become something that you could actually argue the sport has grown. But if people aren't 
engaging with baseball, if people don't have the opportunity to tune in and watch the game, then we maybe don't see that show up with some of the Nielsen ratings or things like that, that people are maybe usually using to measure. So I think that's just something that they need to adapt to. Yeah, absolutely. They, they are very out of touch. Yeah. And I think there's, there's just some real simple solutions here that they can, you know, obviously I know our, most people's first choice would be for them to just reduce or eliminate the blackouts entirely. And I'm sure baseball just has dollar signs in their eyes where they don't want to do that because this is how they're used to doing it. This is how they're used to making money. So obviously that's the most profitable way to make money is the way we've always done things before. Um, But I think they could at least limit their blackouts and give us a fixed number of blackouts per year or limit it to only one team per region so that you don't have some cities or some states that have these massive blackouts. Like I I know um, I saw something when I was doing research for the podcast that Iowa has 35% of their baseball games blacked out and they still pay the same price as everybody else for MLB TV, which to me is absolutely ridiculous. Either come in and. I mean, and they don't, they don't have a home team there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They don't even have a baseball team. So it's like either come in and limit it to just one team. You know, the Brewers are probably the most popular team in Iowa. So just limit it to the Brewers. Or give fans a prorated rate. If you can't watch 35% of games, you should have a 35% discount. I don't think that's that controversial of an idea to suggest that fans in Iowa shouldn't be paying full price for a service when they're not getting full use of that service. Mm-hmm. And then as I mentioned before, too, I mean, things are very different up here in Canada. So I guess if we're going to talk solutions to uh, some of the blackout restrictions, people can always move to Canada and come join Jay's Nation, where we don't have at least as many blackouts as there are in the States right now. Sign me up for Canada. Actually, I almost wore my Blue Jay shirt today, but sorry. We're always a very welcoming country. We're happy to have people come north of the border and choose to defect because of this podcast. Of course, I'm sure many people are considering that. <laughs> it's it's crossed my mind a few times over the last, I don't know, five years. One day. We plan to retire in Canada, but some days I'm like, can we just retire in our late 30s, early 40s? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd definitely be looking forward to that. We'd be happy to steal you across the border. <laughs> yes, I'm. I've got, I mean, like I say, I've got, I've got family up in Quebec, so we'll just hang out there. I'll learn French. It'll, it'll be fine. <laughs> but, uh, we should, we should go to our favorite part. Cause I think we are a little angry right now about the blackout situation. I know I am furious after spending hours on customer support to no avail. <sighs> so. What is making you feel all warm and fuzzy this week? Yeah, so for this week's warm fuzzy, I was thinking I I wouldn't normally go with something hockey-related back-to-back. It's maybe a little bit of my Canadian bias (laughs) seeping in there, but um, I I wanted to give credit where credit's due because I saw just this week uh, Renee Hess and the Black Girl Hockey Club, um, they were mentioned on a podcast on BBC, and I, I know she was very excited and there was a lot of great support out there. Um, And 
they deserve all the love and attention that they're getting. And then some, um, she's an amazing person and what she's done with this organization is incredible for people that aren't familiar. Um, you should definitely drop them a follow on Twitter at black girl hockey. Um, it's a nonprofit organization that is just trying to make hockey more inclusive for women of color and their families and friends. Um, and they run all kinds of events and go to games together. And it's it just fit so perfectly to me with our warm, fuzzy section that it's a group that is always smiling, always positive, always doing something fun and interesting and inspiring. So I just wanted to give that shout out to Renee and everyone else that works with Black Girl Hockey Club because it's an amazing organization and I, it definitely deserves more attention. And I'm glad that they got at least some of that this week with the BBC. Yeah, absolutely. I love the Black Girl Hockey Club. They are such a good follow. Um, they give me so much inspiration. They're just, they are always out there doing great things. So that's a great one. Yeah. So uh, who do you have for yours? I also kind of stuck with something I said last week, um, but I want to share this Instagram post from Liam Hendricks as he rang the bell and is now cancer-free. He's done with his chemo, um, but there was just something incredibly sweet that he posted on Instagram, so I'm going to read that real fast. It says, five months ago, my life changed forever. You never think you will be there or be the one who hears you have cancer, but there I was, in shock and fear, not knowing what comes next. I started treatment after so many life-altering appointments on January 9th, 2023. Every 28 days, I would have another round. Every 28 days, I got closer to the PET scan that would dictate how many more rounds there would be. Every 28 days, I got closer to this moment. These past five months have been both the quickest and slowest of my life. Being able to ring this victory bell has been one of the most emotional things I've ever done. I cannot thank my team of doctors and nurses enough for coming up with the best medical plan for me. No words can express the gratitude I have for them for saving my life. To my wife, you came to every single appointment. You held my hand every step of the way. You were my voice of confidence and always made sure I felt loved and safe throughout all of it. I love you. To my family, friends, and fans, your support kept me going. You kept me in the right frame of mind to beat this. Your encouragement made a bigger difference than you will ever know. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. So, um, and we'll have to share this video, retweet this video of him ringing his victory bell. Um, and it's just, it's, it's so great to know that he beat this. And um, I actually had a friend notice the White Sox have been putting some green accents in all of their tweets, like their their lineups and everything. And a friend pointed out, you know, she thinks it might be to honor Liam because that green is that color, um, you know, for this cancer awareness and what he's been using throughout all of it. So I'm just so grateful that there's another survivor and that it it's such a wonderful person because Liam is the best. Yeah, he really is. I, I mentioned last week when we were talking about him that 
I'm I'm a huge fan of him as well, not just as a player, but as a person. He's just a great human being. And I, I was so happy and excited to see that he got to ring the bell this week. And it's it's really inspiring. It's just really incredible, I think, to see. I mean, we talked last week about you know that list of players that you know, Anthony Rizzo and Carlos Carrasco and Trey Mancini that have gone through this and come back to baseball and to see Liam Hendricks do it as well is just really, really inspiring. Yeah. And, and that type of cancer, you know, hits really close to home. So knowing the person I love was able to beat it and now Liam has been able to beat it and will be back on that mound, hopefully, um, sooner than everyone anticipated is just such a relief to so many people. Yeah. Yeah. I know when he was first diagnosed, there were a lot of people that weren't expecting him to play again this season. Uh, they were starting to look ahead to 2024 and now there's conversation that we could see him sometime in May. So I, I think it's uh, perfect for our warm fuzzies section that we've got such an inspiring moment and something to look forward to getting Liam Hendricks back on the mound because baseball is just better when he's out there. Even if they have to censor everything he says on the broadcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if, if the game's blacked out, then what does it matter? <laughs> it's true. You're not going to catch his hot mic on any broadcast when they black out that game. Exactly. So anyways, we hope you enjoyed listening to our deep dive on these uh, blackout restrictions today. Um, as always, be sure to follow us. You can find the podcast on Twitter at The Outpitch Pod, myself at Havelock Justin, and Crystal at Crystal OK. We will link all of the uh, socials in our description as well, wherever you're listening. And just a reminder to uh, follow PitcherList on Twitter and Instagram at Pitcher List. I know Crystal's doing a lot of incredible content for them right now, so you definitely don't want to miss that. Um, and as I mentioned before, with my warm fuzzy, uh, Black Girl Hockey Club, at Black Girl Hockey. Um, so again, you can find those in the description as well. And please don't forget to click follow or su- subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever else you might be listening to us. We would love to hear your feedback. So uh, if you want to rate and review us, I know that would be much appreciated. Uh, We definitely want to make this podcast the best version of itself. So we want to hear what you guys have to say, but that's all for now. Thank you for listening to the Outpitch podcast, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you. Bye.